Manya Nation, let's ride. But Don Nealon's Mountaineers enjoy walking in where angels fear to tread. Harris in trouble, stiff arms, the would-be tackler comes out of the 25 to 20, goes around about it to 15 to 10 to 5, a touchdown with Virginia, he did it! to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. And now, the show brought to you by Mountaineer fans, for Mountaineer fans, the Country Road Webcast. What's going on, Mountaineer Nation? Welcome into Season 6, Episode 162 of the CRW Podcast, here for our first game review and reaction episode of the 2023 WVU football season. Unfortunately, for the third consecutive year, it's coming after a season-opening loss for the Mountaineers as West Virginia, unfortunately, fell to 0-1, as you all well know now, falling 38-15 to Penn State in the season opener there in Happy Valley. And joining me to discuss it, of course, is my lovely co-host. We've got Steven. What's going on, everybody? And Bradley. What's up? Well, gentlemen, uh, I know we're going to break down the numbers a little bit on this one. We're going to dive into the stats, team stats, individual stats. We got some, a uh, couple comments from uh, Mountaineer Nation as well. We'll dive in on later in the episode. But uh, before we do, just kind of freeform discussion. Our review episodes here are a little bit uh, different than our preview episodes, not really segmented or anything, just more of a freeform discussion and then talking about the numbers, of course. But having said that, uh, Brad, haven't really got a chance to hear your thoughts on the season opener yet, so we'll let you kick it off. What are you uh, looking at following at the, following this game, both you know positives and negatives, I guess? Yeah, and full transparency just for everybody watching. I got caught up at work last night, so I got to catch it in bits and pieces. You know, um, got to catch a good bit of the second half, and I was able to watch the first half this morning on YouTube. Some, so I, I feel like I got a good feeling for it, even though I didn't catch every single play. Um, Penn State was a damn good team. I say, and they looked like it. And I think going into it, we all knew that, which is why I think most of us, not all of us predicted us to lose. Some of us thought we would cover that spread and we came close to it, you know. And so I think, you know, feeling, feeling a little bit bummed out that maybe we didn't look exactly as crisp as we wanted. But um, ultimately coming out of there, not discouraged, you know, but also not all the way impressed either. Yeah. That's kind of how I was feeling, you know, immediately after the game. And even now, still I have, you know, what I would call mixed feelings about the performance. Wasn't all bad. Certainly wasn't all good either, obviously, when you don't come out on the winning side of things. But, Steven, I know we discussed it, you know, immediately following the game in our post-game reaction shows, which um, you guys that are listening or uh, viewing this episode, be sure to check us out on the uh, post-game shows immediately following the WV football games. Uh, you can find those here streaming on YouTube. Um, we'll be doing those all season. If you missed out on the first one, uh, catch us on the next one. But have your thoughts changed any since then, Stephen, or anything you know you thought about since then that you wanted to add to uh, what we discussed you know, previously? Um, no, I'm I'm pretty much still um, in, uh, what I would call indifferent about this team right now. I don't really know. I'm still saying six and six as of right now. I, I think that that's still a pretty safe bet from what I've seen on the field. Um, but I, I don't think that my feelings have changed drastically from last night. I think obviously following the loss, you're always you know harsher on a team than than what you should be. I guess you know once you can go back and and watch everything and see how everything unfolded instead of just reacting to it but I'm still 
I don't, I don't know. I, I, I've got to see a lot more out of that secondary for, for me to believe that we can compete in a Big 12 conference that is just pass happy, you know, year in and year out. And it's only you're only facing more prolific off, offenses as you go throughout this season. So if last night would we would have seen a more offensive problem than a defensive problem, and especially, uh, you know, a, a secondary problem, then I would be a lot more optimistic than I am right now. But if that is our main issue, it's going to be a long year, in, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, because that's the one thing, you know, the area that we knew we needed to improve on, one of the main areas was in the secondary, and um, that left a lot to be desired, you know, and I think, you know, credit goes to Penn State. Uh, one thing that was confirmed that we did talk about, Steve, and, you know, I mentioned in that uh, post-game discussion that I thought it kind of seemed like our plan was let's stop the run game and we'll just sit back and try and, you know, make Drew Aller, Drew Aller beat us. And uh turned out, you know, Neil Brown even mentioned that in his uh, post-game press conference that was kind of their plan. And I think uh, Drew Aller showcased his skills and he's going to really be a great player going forward in college football. I was really impressed by him. And Penn State in general, what you guys, you know, talked about as well. But speaking of press conferences, you know, this is something that we didn't discuss because I didn't really pick up on it, you know, during, you know, or at least my naked eye didn't when I was watching the game. I think, you know, some plays I saw it, but I think I thought it was more play-specific than something they were doing altogether. But Lee Koba in his uh, post-game press conference mentioned that actually he played the wheel linebacker and Trey Lathan played the Mike linebacker for us uh, in the game. Uh, did you guys catch that? I did not notice that at all. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't notice it. Like I said, I, I wasn't really in tune with it, but that's kind of an interesting idea. I mean, I obviously noticed Lee in on every – what seemed to, to be every single play on defense, but I know. Yeah, and I mean, Trey Latham looked good, so that's no like. Yeah. But it's an interesting move, and like I said, yeah, I think it worked out. We'll we'll pull up the numbers here in a minute, but I know Lee Coba led us in tackles, and he was in uh, the double digits. But, um, yeah, it was interesting because I thought, you know, once he said that and I thought about it, I remembered watching, you know, one play, just it kind of popped up in my head, and I saw Lee Cobe on the outside and Trey Lathan lined up in the middle. But like I said, I thought, you know, it was just specific to whatever was happening in that play and didn't really think much of it at the time. But interesting development, and I thought that they were doing some uh, different things there with the lineups. Like I said, I haven't got a chance to go back and rewatch the game yet. Uh, when I do, I'll be able to look at that more. But I thought that they were trying some different things defensively. And honestly, I really liked what I saw overall from the defensive line and linebackers personally. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think the D-line in general, they looked better than what we had heard going into this. I thought Sean Martin looked like a man amongst boys out there, to be honest. I thought Sean Martin was often getting pushed. He was getting depth. He was making, you know, creating havoc. Um, and, you know, he, he the guy's monstrous. It's hard to not see him on the field. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and yeah. you could definitely tell he's having an impact in there, which felt really nice. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, run defense performed well when you had great running backs against, you know, that the Penn State had, and they kind of like – Neil Brown said sold out to stop the run, and so they did a good job of that. But that secondary, you know, as we said earlier, that still remains the question mark, and uh, we'll see what happens moving forward uh, throughout the season because it's going to definitely need to improve from what we saw here in this first game. Like I said, small sample size, so uh, the verdict's still out on that one, I guess you could say, but definitely didn't look too much different from what we saw last year on the back end, and that's something that's going to have to change if West Virginia wants to, you know, get to a bowl game or do better than that even. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when, like, you're not even seeing as big of a rotation as what we thought we would see. You know what I mean? It still just feels like a Neil Brown reluctance to try out different things. He's going to beat a horde just to death to see if it works. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of Neil Brown, you know, this is going to have to just be a ongoing topic that we discussed throughout this season, of course, because you've already seen it following, you know, just one game of this season, fans coming out on the fire, Neil Brown train already. I mean, as to be expected, I think, and, you know, it's funny because a lot of those same people that are saying that probably weren't predicting West Virginia to win the game, but they come out and, you know, don't win the game, and then people are on the fire, Neil Brown train, but Having said that, his seat was very hot at the end of last season. We know that coming into this year, and this year is make or break for him, essentially. 
the first game's performance uh, following that, you know, we talked about there were some positive things, some things you can build on, and there were certainly some negative things. We're talking about the secondary play now, but I think we're going to have to continue to gauge the temperature of Neil Brown's seat throughout this season. So having said that, following game one of this season, uh, in regards to Neil Brown, Stephen, do you think his seat is hotter following this game than it was, you know, heading into the season, cooler, about the same, uh, well, where would you put that? Um, and from the perspective of, of the fan base or from a perspective of the athletic department or like the athletic, the AD, Ren Baker? I was thinking more of the AD, but uh, fan base wise, it, just what both, I guess, they're both having. Yeah, because I'm feeling kind of the same thing too, Stephen. Right, right. AD, I think it, it's in, I think it's unchanged. I think that. Ren Baker has not changed his his opinion on that. Fan base um, depends on what fan base we're talking about, and what by by that I think you guys already know what I mean. If we're talking about our actual fan base who follows the team, you know, every game and actually watches the games, and you know, follows them like we do and follows them through the off season, I think those fans are also unchanged i myself am unchanged i i'm still i it didn't change me one way or the other last night didn't um if you're talking about the facebook west uh, west virginia fan base i (laughs) think that they are absolutely livid right now and i think that (laughs) there's nothing the only thing that would change those fans mind is an undefeated season in a national championship i think anything else would be uh insufficient yeah you're right there you're right there. So, Bur- Brad, what about you? Any other any other thoughts? You think Neil? Well, Brown's I mean, I, I think that like, opinion? yeah. As I say, for like me on a personal note, after that game, I would feel like his seat's a little bit hotter for me, not because he, he lost, but because he hasn't changed yet. You know what I mean? I know it's game one. Things are. This is game one. Yeah, of the year of this team, but this is year five of Neil Brown, and I'm still seeing the same. Neil Brown I've seen for the past four years. It's not it's not different. It's not changing and you know, insanity's doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Well that's a great point, Brad. Like that honestly if I maybe swayed a little bit just thinking about it that way, because you would like to think that as a conservative play caller as he's been, you know, be conservative until they're beating you and then, you know, panic out and do whatever. He's not been aggressive enough to show me that he's trying to change. Or you have – you be exciting in the least. You know 100%. what I mean? hundred percent. That's exactly what I was about to say because that's what I've been thinking about since the game, you know, yesterday was whenever – since Neil Brown has been here, have we gotten down, let's say, more than, a, you know, more than a score, more than seven, eight points. We've gotten down 10 to 14 points, and you felt like, Oh, it's okay. We got a quick strike offense. We'll we we'll get back in this quick. When ever you have you felt you like can't. that throughout his whole time here? Not once. Because it's been a nickel and diming for every touchdown we've ever gotten. Not once, man. And that's and that's my my main issue is it's just the excitement is still not there. And I thought, you know, with the running quarterback here and everything, it would be a little bit more exciting. And like I said, small sample size. I want to continue to you know place that caveat in there because it still can change. They could come out and have great offensive performances the rest of the season, put up 500 yards a game, and run some tempo, and it really you know put on a show for the fans and shut me up here and prove me wrong. But they? from what we've seen so far from Neil Brown, that's not what we're gonna see. I don't think. And in this game, you know, Penn State's defense is great. I'm not trying to you know negate that at all, but. The offense, despite some new wrinkles they threw in, which, you know, Stephen, me and you talked about this briefly, a lot of it was just more of the same Neil Brown that we saw back when he was calling the plays for the first three years. Oh, I, well, I was just going to say, I do believe that we as West Virginia fans, you know, watching what we've watched over the years, just from, you know, two, 2000s up, we have been spoiled to, I guess, big playability from what we've seen on the field. You know what I mean? You go from Rasheed Marshall throwing the ball like he did, uh, you go to Pat White, you go to Geno, you go to Will Greer. You know, we have seen prolific play, but not just quarterback position. Tyler right? Howard and Shelton Gibson. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. I'd be remiss to, you know, not mention a lot of these other guys. But we have seen, you know, elite-level playmaking ability on West Virginia's field over the past not just two decades, but, you know, however however far back you want to think about West Virginia football. We're not used to 
well, let's just be conservative and, and win a defensive game. Well, you're not going to do that either because we're not that good of a defensive team. And so, I don't know. It's not ju- it's not just the fact that it's not exciting to me. If it wasn't exciting and we still were able to to get something going on offense, I can handle that. But, I mean, it's just – oh, man. Well, it, it's, go- it's gone from – being you know exciting and stuff like you said like will greer and them was probably the last time to being once we get down you know seven nothing or whatever it's okay let's hope we can just keep it close and let's not get blown out this game that's that's literally the feeling that you get uh in the neil brown yeah that's a horrible that's a horrible feeling how many and i would even oh i'm sorry yeah i was just gonna ask how many times we scored over 40 points in the neil brown era but Against a power five, you know what I mean? Like, true, we're to drop 55 on Duquesne. I can't think of any, (laughs) I can't think of any against power five off the top of my head. I don't know, we might wait for them to beat us, (laughs) yeah. And so, my thing is, like, and it's not even just like the play calling, it's also the reluctance to play freshmen. Like, you didn't see Rodney Gallagher, you got to see a little bit of Traylon Ray, you know some of these other guys that they've mentioned bringing in. You don't see Jacoby Spells, you know, you're still not seeing them reach out there and branch and try to run those players as much, you know what I mean? And it's just, I don't know. That's the stuff that bothered me last year. When I look at it this year and thinking about whether his seat's getting hotter or not for me, I'm looking at these things that should be, you know, uh, at least getting a little bit better. You know what I mean? And so that's like the same Neil Brown stuff, just like the reluctance to try to play anybody, give a young guy a chance, you know? Yeah. Throw him out there. Split. Even though Garrett Green was doing fine, why not try Nico Marchio just to freaking see if he catches lightning in a bottle? You know what I mean? Oh, they tried and it just, once. No. And not and not try. Yeah, I was about to say, not try him when it's in a terrible situation that he has no chance to succeed. Yeah, maybe you, you play know, more, and then it's not such an expected play when you put him out there for one play. You want to know what Nico's career stats are for the WVU Mountaineers right now, fellas? One rush for negative 11 yards. Yeah, that's his, and it that's wasn't his, his fault. Stats. And it wasn't his. That's not career. He played. Uh, he he played against Oklahoma State in the. Uh, did he play last year? last year? Yeah, I guess he did. Well, twenty twenty three stats anyway. Twenty twenty three. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, there you go. But like, why not? You, you know what I mean? And I feel like that's just like a Neil Brown staple, and I'm just tired of it a little bit. You know, well, he gets his. Neil Brown yeah. has his guys, and he doesn't. He doesn't want to make a change. He wants to ride with his guys, whoever you know they are, and I think that that's going to show you this year. Like I said, I know it's only one game so far, but if he's still reluctant to make a change this year in the year where his back's against the wall and it's make or break and he's still not willing to you know play some of these young guys and get in some guys that can be more explosive um then he's never going to do it so that should tell the athletic department something there in itself you know because what we saw on offense you know there's we have some really good players cj's great the offensive line's great garrett can do some great things with his legs i liked what i saw from devin carter but we don't have a number two wide receiver right now, really. I mean, honestly, to be honest with you, I know Cortez Braham is it on, on the depth chart, but he didn't really do too much in the first game. Hopefully he does throughout the rest of the season. But I think what we're really missing is just an explosive element on, on offense. Um, I've learned since, you know, uh, we did the postgame show that E.J. Horton was injured. That's why he didn't play, apparently. Hopefully maybe he can get back, and that'll bring you some speed. But right now, who on this team is a threat to beat the defense over the top? I mean, not even that. You look at – we hear about Jaheim White all the time, right? You get these guys that are electric, speedy out there. You can throw it to them. They're catching, doing this, that, and the other. Where's it at, though? Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Let, your back's against the wall. Pulling out, pulling out all the tricks all, all the tricks in your bag is not just running a, a double lateral backwards into a broken play pass. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, that, that's not it. It's trying out a young guy that has, you know, a bright future and has been hyped up. Give him a chance. You know what I mean? A guy that's only been here since June. Give him a chance. Yep. You know, it's just to the point where you're so scared to try it because you're going to get blamed for it. Well, you're going to get blamed for it if you don't do it. So, right. Well, I just don't, I don't believe that it's necessarily that we need, we've got to be able to have a, you know, an over the top bomb guy. I think that you've got to be able to just have guys that can consistently catch the ball. That way that you can keep the defense on their toes and you can be able to run it effectively. Because, I mean, even with a, a line like we have and with CJ being and Jalen being as productive as they are, it only lasts for so long until that defense starts to cue on it. And I agree with you, but let, let me ask a follow-up question to that. 
you know, you said, you know, guys being able to catch the ball and stuff. And maybe we have that. But my follow-up question is, is this. Do we have a quarterback that can get it to him consistently, accurately, on time, make the right reads, and not just look at his first read and when it's not there, take off, leave the pocket, and, you know, when the play is there, you know, miss entirely, like, you know, a fourth down and five or whatever it was that comes to mind when you've got a wide-open slant and throws it, you know, nowhere near the receiver. You know, and that's not – I'm not doing saying that to just knock on Garrett Green because – He's not the only one we've seen that from. That's This is, what, the third or fourth quarterback we've seen have these same problems in the Neil Brown era? Yeah, true fact. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I, I don't understand. Year five, you know, we are giving him a break initially because it was, you know, bringing in transfers. It was, you know, you had to go get Austin Kendall and Daigie when Neil Brown has talked about he really likes dual-threat quarterbacks, but he had to get who he, who he could get. So he went with Daigie and Kendall, and then you go get JT Daniels. And, of course, we know how that – panned out and it didn't work out very well either and so now you have your guy that you've supposedly been in the program developing for four years now almost you know he's a junior this season and comes out in game one and we've talked about his you know improved passing and I guess that's the question guys did Garrett Green look improved as a passer to you guys or improved as a player that goes through his progressions and through his reads and doesn't come off them too quickly Maybe at times, to me, just, you know, I'm going to go ahead and answer for myself. Personally, at times, he looked better. But I think overall, he still lacked consistency, lacked accuracy, and maybe slightly improved. But I don't know if he's a quarterback that can win us more than five or six games that we've been seeing from Neil Brown at this point. Like I said, it's only been one game, but that's just how I'm feeling. Yeah. How you guys? See, that one, that one I feel like I am going to kind of, like, lean in towards Garrett Green getting caught in the moment. You know what I mean? And I hope you're right. Yeah, and I do think it's like 110,000 fans, bright lights. When when you get in that kind of condition, like you kind of revert back to what your instincts tell you. You know what I mean? And so it's probably just like reverting back to, you know, that, that base sense of style that the play that he has, you know? And it, his more recent practice and stuff just like hasn't come through yet. But once you get into games like Duquesne and it's not as such, such high pressure – I do think that Garrett Green's going to look a little bit, a little bit better. I mean, that was an elite defense. It's a lot, you know. That was a tough game to go in there and try to look better, and and so I, I think that he's going to look much better going forward. But you know, you're not wrong in the fact that we we've not seen progression from a quarterback since they've been under Neil Brown. So, and I think it's also kind of a little discouraging to to have a quarterback with a baseball background who you would think would have an you know an accurate strong arm. Yeah, it's like in even you know the long pass he completed to Devin Carter, that should have been a touchdown. I mean, and it, that thing came in there like a like it looked like a, a punt. Like Devin Carter, like he was yeah. so he almost he almost <laughs> gave it up. <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe he was just trying there. not to overthrow him because he was so wide open, and I understand that. But there were certain things that had me you know scratching my head a little bit with that. And like I said, I'm not trying to knock on Garrett Green. You know, I put out the top five highest offensive player grades video on our YouTube channel today. Check that out if you guys haven't already. And yeah, about that. the highest, you know, graded overall offensive player, spoiler alert, was Garrett Green. So, I mean. point four passer rating, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, 85 over offensive grade, I think is what it was. And so it was by far the highest because I think he was the only one on our offense that graded in the 80s. Well, um, even James Franklin. Like 78. James Franklin in the post game, uh, he even said that he said their quarterback is really, really good. So, uh, you know, maybe we have a skewed view because we were yeah. looking at, at it through the, you know, the view that we do. Uh, but from the outside looking in, it seemed like people had nothing but good things to say about the way that that we handled ourselves and the composure that we showed from all around. Yeah, and like I said, I don't want to bash on knock bash on him at all. That's why I wanted to you know point out that he had a good grade and also did a great job not turning the ball over. I think that's going to be a major key for him throughout this season. But you know, he also and we talked about this a little bit, Stephen. He can't take near as many hits as he did in this game. I think he ended up carrying the ball you know fifteen plus times, plus got hit you know quite a few times when he was dropping back. He won't make it through a full season, you know, with his frame and body style taking that many hits. So that's something that they're going to need to fix there. But I do think Garrett Green, 
you know, the potential you do see it, you see it in flashes. To me, it's just I need to see more consistency. That's all. That's what I'm hoping to see develop as this season goes on is a little bit more consistency from Garrett Green. I think if he can do that, then uh, he can be a quarterback that can be, you know, good for us. He can be, you know, that like we talked about earlier, that scholar type quarterback, I think. You know, that's that's kind of who he resembles to me. I think Skyler had a little bit better arm, definitely a little bit better deep ball. Skyler had, you know, that beautiful deep ball. But um, Garrett could be that type of quarterback, you know, if the stars align. Yeah, I think that you know, as, as hard as this game was for us, I think that it's only going to bode well for us going into this season and playing them in the first game. Uh, because you're not going to face an environment for one like that again this year. You're not going to face a defense again like that this year. Um you're going to face better offenses, that's for sure. But I think that if we can get, I, I'm 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 fairly sure that it's a zone problem on our defense on our secondary side. I I don't think that it's a a talent issue. I I I don't know why I'm so firm in that belief, but I, I swear it's, you don't see that those guys consistently that wide open unless it's a zone issue. Uh, so I, I believe if we can get some of those issues fixed, we should be okay. But I do think that playing them and, and playing such a good team in such a great environment early will help a team like us. Yeah, especially once you get some momentum going and actually get the team fully believing into it, then, like, anything's possible, you know. But they definitely learned a lot coming out of this game. Yeah, I believe so, too. Well, and this is, you know, we're hitting the crucial stretch of the season right here, you know, because I think the first game, you know, like we said, mixed bag, some things that were positive, some things that we were disappointed with. But overall, the result is kind of what we ultimately expected, right? I mean, we all picked us to lose to this game. You know, we had it a little bit closer. But, you know, be it the, our season prediction roundtable predictions or, you know, the predict the preview show, um, we all had Penn State winning this game. So up to this point, the season's kind of gone the way that we thought it would, you know, win-loss-wise. So these next three to four weeks are really going to be a telltale sign of not only the future of this team and how they're going to proceed through this season, how successful they may or may not be. But I think it's going to really be a big barometer of what the future may hold for Neil Brown because West Virginia plays four more games here in the month of September. They play five games uh, to start off September. The next three here are all at home. Ideally you'd love to go three and zero at home with, you know, of course getting the revenge on Texas tech and winning in the backyard brawl. Obviously, we're expecting the win over Duquesne. So, if you can do that and get to uh, three and one, uh, then you know taking on a tough uh, TCU team that would set up a big matchup there on the road, and uh, Neil Brown could maybe uh, win some people over. Uh, then, if he could uh, do those things, get these wins at home, and then go on the road and show some people that he can win on the road, um, I think maybe come October people could change their tune on Neil Brown if uh, the stars align. Like I said, so. Um, I wanted to just bring some optimism back and talk a little bit about a silver lining because I feel like I've just been harping since, you know, the end of that game because, you know, like I said, there was some takeaways that I didn't like in regards to, you know, coaching and play calling and stuff. But because it's only one game and we still got a lot ahead of us. Yeah, and we got to call them how we see them. That's the reason we do this show, right? Absolutely. That's what, that's the fun of it. That's the fun of it. But uh, before we get into some numbers, gentlemen, I'm going to pull up the stats here on the screen. We'll talk about some team stats and individual stats. But uh, before we do, anything else uh, you guys want to touch on uh, in, in regards to the season opener that we didn't uh, touch on there? I think I'm ready to move. Yep. All right, let's uh, let's pull up some numbers here, and we'll talk some stats from the uh, season opener, uh, both team and individually for the Mountaineers. But before we do that, just wanted to uh, take some time out to say we appreciate everyone that's tuning into this episode, whether you're watching it on YouTube or listening to it on any podcast platform as well. You can find the Country Roads webcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio. Just search Country Roads webcast. We appreciate you listening there. But if you're viewing this on YouTube, whether it be on our channel or on the WV Sports Now channel, as you can find our show on the web at wvsportsnow.com where you'll find all kinds of great Mountaineer sports content. Do us a favor while you're here tuning in. Hit the like button. Give us a thumbs up on the video. really helps not only its performance, but future videos' performances here on the channel. And if you're a WVU fan, be sure to subscribe. Helps us, helps you, helps get this Mountaineer sports content out to Mountaineer Nation. Having said that, let's take a look at some numbers from the season opener for the Mountaineers. 
As you see here on the screen, if you're watching on the video side, Penn State picked up 10 more first downs than the Mountaineers, 27-17. to 17. West Virginia struggled on third downs, but uh, Penn State didn't do the best on third downs either. Three of nine for the Nittany Lions, four of 14 for the Mountaineers. West Virginia 50% on their fourth down attempts, three of six, so uh, six times Neil Brown went forward on fourth down in this game. Penn State one of one on their lone attempt. Total yards, West Virginia ended up at 308, Penn State 478. Passing yards, Penn State really uh, put up some numbers here. You know, like I said, Drew Aller really was impressive. Keandre Lambert-Smith uh, did a lot of damage in the receiving game, including a couple touchdowns. It ended up as a total of 332 passing yards for Penn State, uh, where West Virginia only ended up throwing for 162. Rushing yards actually ended up dead even, 146 for each team, uh, that being on 35 carries for Penn State and 40 for West Virginia. Penn State only called for one penalty in the game. Uh, West Virginia was called for five for 55 yards. So not bad for West Virginia on penalty yardage. I thought they did better, you know, in the amount of penalties. Unfortunately, they were still the more penalized teams. And unfortunately, a couple of those were really costly and brought back some big runs. But time of possession was an area you wanted to see West Virginia win in this game. And they did manage to do that, holding on to the ball for 31 minutes compared to Penn State's 28. But uh, team stats-wise here, guys, anything that uh, stands out, uh, to you guys here, uh, looking at these numbers. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we can get uh, individualized stats on that, but I'm pretty sure all five of those penalties for us came in the second half. I do believe at halftime we were pen- we we didn't have any penalties. That sounds uh, right. So so yeah, a lot of that could be contributed to some noise, but even still, I I I know it's a, it's five for 55 yards. I can live with that. I think last year uh, the first. I'm pretty sure last year in the pit game, we were well over 10 penalties for over a hundred yards. Yeah. That's what I said. It's, it's an improvement at least, you know, um, the thing that bothers me about it is, you know, some of them were costly. The one that stands out to me was the illegal procedure on the uh, big run when it was, I think that was, I believe the first drive we had of the second half big after we got yeah, because we'd forced Penn state into a three and out and then we broke a big run 15, 16 yards, something like that. And then, Legal procedure brought it back and then drive, you know, sp- uh, spun out from there and never got going again. So um, I think it's an improvement, but would love to not have them in those critical situations still yet. Uh, Brad, what about you? Anything here, you know, penalties or anything else stand out to you, uh, team stats wise? Just like the six yards per pass, just is kind of sad. You know what I mean? When, when your passes are getting as much as like what you would hope a first or second down run would get, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's pretty sad when you're looking at it. Yeah, I think that for me that a lot of that was especially early in the game. You know, finally late in the game they started, you know, throwing down field a little bit. But I know the first two or three drives, I don't think we threw a ball further than five yards downfield. And I was very concerned about that. And that's something they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do it. They're gonna have to throw the ball downfield. Yeah, playing especially playing in the conference that we play in. I think that that's yeah. Something that I don't I don't know if we've been mentioning enough is the Big Twelve is an offensive conference, and we you know aren't very good offensively. You're not going to be a very good team in that conference. I'm hoping to see a little bit more from the offense. But speaking of the offense, let's look at the individual stats uh, for the Mountaineers. We'll look at the offensive side first. Garrett Green, sixteen of twenty-seven for one sixty-two, the six yards uh, per completion average we talked about there, fifty-seven point five QB rating. Uh, Rushing-wise, you get eighteen for eighty-one from for CJ Donaldson. Thought he looked great, four and a half yards a carry. He ended up with a touchdown. Uh, Green goes over seventy yards as well, fifteen carries, seventy-one yards, and a touchdown. Jalen Anderson only ends up with five carries, seven yards, um, and then of course we talked about Nico, the one carry for negative eleven yards. So um, I think ideally maybe you'd like to see Garrett Green get a few less carries, put a few more in Jalen Anderson's hands, get some for Justin Johnson. And, of course, we talked about hopefully getting Jaheim White involved. But then receiving-wise, six catches for 90 yards. Devin Carter, I thought, looked the part of a number one wide receiver for the Mountaineers, hopefully continues to improve. Cole Taylor, two catches, 31 yards. Jalen Anderson, two catches, 15 yards. Jeremiah Aaron, one ball, eight yards. Preston Fox, one ball, seven yards. Traylon Ray, two catches, seven yards. CJ with a catch for three yards. And then the other tight end, Traylon Davis, with a catch for one yard. For me, for these individual numbers, I think it's, you know, the passing game that I got to point out again. But uh, 
it's the receivers. Because outside, I think Devin Carter and Cole Taylor, who I thought looked kind of how we expected them to look, looking at these numbers, just no one else really stands out for West Virginia receiving-wise. You know, you get a Jalen Anderson as a running back with a couple of catches, Trey Ray with a couple of catches, but got to get some other receivers involved, I think. You know, goes back to what I said earlier. Don't really feel like we have a second option at receiver right now. If, you know, the second option is kind of our tight end, Cole Taylor, it looks like. But uh, from these individual stats, rushing, passing, receiving, uh, what stands out to you, Steven? Um, I do like that we're getting our uh, tight ends involved a little bit more, um, you know, and his, his stats don't really pop off of the chart, but, you know, CJ looked a lot better on the field than he does on, on the stat sheet, in my opinion. Um, but other than that, you know, nothing really too impressive. You know, i got to see Devin Carter six for 90 yards. You, that's that's okay, but then, you know, the most you have is two receptions by any other guy that did make a catch in the game. You know, we've got to see more consistency out of our receivers. And not only Garrett Green, you know, you can't put it all on him, but you got to I, – I remember one specifically to Traylon Ray that was over the middle, and he just dropped the pass. I think we talked about it last night. Yeah. It was a little that bit was late, of late late in the game, yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit of an underthrown ball. It was thrown behind him a little bit. But as a receiver wide open across the middle, you've got to catch that ball. You know, so and I, I was taught as a receiver – I played quarterback and receiver, and I was always taught as a receiver, you know, if your finger touches the ball, you catch the ball always hated that rule but that's that's what they've always said <laughs> that's true that's what they say uh, indeed indeed i agree i personally i think cj i would give him more carries i know you got limited carries to go around and i'm over here complaining about us not getting jaheim white involved and you know jalen anderson not getting his carries either but i think cj donaldson just the back that he is he i think he's only gonna get better as the game goes along I would give him at least 25 touches a game, but that's just me. Uh, Brad, what about you? What do you think here as far as offensive statistics uh, individual that uh, stood, stood out to you? Yeah, no. Honestly, it's just the – like you guys had said, there's no really spreading around in the wide receiver room. There's just no real options. I mean, you look across the board, that's ideally what you want to see, you know, four catches, seven catches, four catches, two catches, you know, one catch with 22 yards, you know. They only caught one ball, but it was a meaningful ball. You know what I mean? One catch, 15 yards. That's the first down, you know? And when you're getting three and a half yards a catch with, you know, trailing Ray or just getting seven yards, eight yards, it's just not cutting it. Yeah, because, I mean, just just looking at the numbers, I mean, Cole Taylor and Devin Carter is the only people that had a catch longer than 10 yards. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not it's not going not gonna to do it. Devin Carter didn't really, other than the one in the beginning of the game, I don't think he made a meaningful catch until late in the game. Yeah, and I mean, you say one catch. I, you could also say the same thing about Keandre Lambert Smith, but you take one catch off for thirty-seven yards, and then you're left with five catches for fifty-some yards, and it's just not feeling the same, you know? Yeah, true, true. Especially you know when you don't get any of your receivers into the end zone, and I know we're going to be a predominantly run team, and our scores came down there at the goal line. So, um, but you still want to see you know the receivers get involved and be able to be guys that can make game-breaking plays because that's one thing that they've talked about is wanting to be more explosive, right? That's been a major key for them. Uh, let's get more explosive on offense. No explosive plays essentially for West Virginia. I don't. I think they may have had, you know, one play over 20 yards, but certainly didn't have any over 30, any over 40. No. That's Devin Carter's catch, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's like I said, offense, I'm still on the fence about it. Um, like I said, verdict's still out for me. Penn State's defense is really good, so we'll see. I don't know how much we'll learn from Duquesne, but um, I think the offense has potential. I'll say that. Well, and one thing, too, I I don't know if it's a, a real safe option for your quarterback and your number one running back to have almost the same amount of carries for about the right. same amount of yards. <laughs> I mean, right. they both had a touchdown. Mm -hmm. but yep, I, I mean, their stats are almost identical rushing. You got – CJ with eighteen eighty one, average for four point four and a half uh, yards a carry, a touchdown, and as long was seventeen. Garrett's was fifteen carries for seventy one yards, four point seven for his average carries, a touchdown, and fifteen was as long. Yeah, so I mean, they're, almost, they're only differing in two on each of those. Yeah, that's what I say. It's almost identical. Uh, you got to give some of those to CJ or some of those to Jalen. I think you know 
Garrett, you know, he's going to, some of those you're not going to be able to manage because they're going to come off scrambles, him making something happen, which I thought was really good for West Virginia. It can be good throughout the season. That's a weapon. You know, third down, everything's covered and he can scramble and pick up, you know, six, seven yards when you're having on third and five. That's awesome. And he did that a lot in the game. So he's going to do that on his own. So I think, you know, design runs, maybe only do five to seven design runs for him because he's going to have another handful where he takes off on his own. When was the last time you seen a, a game with no turnovers on either, either side of the ball? That's kind of wild. Well, we should have had a couple. I'll say that. You know, and for, yeah. for as bad as, you know, we're talked about the secondary, I did like, you know, Beanie Bishop, some things he did on both those plays, you know, that he nearly had. You know, both those were his hands. He should have at least had one of them, but um, made good plays on the ball on those. Yeah. I mean, Aubrey Burks, even though it led to a touchdown, like he made – he tried it. He tried to knock the ball down instead of just going for the safe play. You know. Yeah, he went all out. I mean, when the guy yeah. lays out, I can't be mad at him. And uh, speaking of Aubrey Burks and Beanie Bishop, let's look at the individual defensive uh, stats here. I won't run through all these. I'll just kind of name some of the standouts uh, ones. And that, of course, Lee Cobra. We talked about it briefly earlier. Thirteen total tackles to lead the team. Seven of those solo, including a tackle and a half for a loss. Beanie Bishop, uh, seven tackles. Five of those solo, a half a tackle for a loss that he shared with Anthony Wilson, who had five tackles. Six tackles for Trey Lathan, who we talked about really looked like a bright spot, I think, playing that mic position we've learned uh, since the end of the game. Jared Bartlett with five tackles. Andrew Wilson-Lamp with four tackles. Three tackles each for Montre Miller, Sean Martin, and Hershey McLaurin. Um, that goes for also uh, Malachi Ruffin in that group with three tackles. Lance Dixon and Mike Lockhart with a couple. Uh, get a tackle for a loss from a uh, half a tackle for a loss, excuse me, from Devon Hawkins, who also uh, deflected a pass. Uh, Tommy got the sack in the TFL as well. So looking through the defensive numbers, guys, uh, what really stands out there to you off the top, Brad? Yeah, I think it's got to be Trey Lathan, right? Like the fact that just he's stepping in there playing big boy ball so early on. Um, really looking like the – honestly, he, he was a really highly touted recruit coming out of high school, so it's nice to see him come along, especially at a position to need when we thought that's somewhere we were going to be really weak at. So I think that's a really big upside. Yeah, I agree. Steven, uh, what about you? Uh, I, I'm going to say Beanie Bishop, man. I, I I know that we've seen Beanie in there on a few passive breakups. I know you mentioned the two that he should have uh, – he could have had intercepted, but I, I didn't realize that he was in so much on – on uh on the tackling so much uh so that one a little bit shocks me that he's the second leading tackler on the team uh, yeah. but also andrew wilson lamp i think uh I, I liked what i saw out of him mostly last night yeah. room for improvement obviously but mostly i liked it yeah i think from what i saw i like both those two guys i think that if both those continue to develop they're going to be solid as your starting corners uh for the mountaineers uh which is how it looks like it's going to be and i think for as much as we've talked about you know the coaching staff saying this and saying that, and it's a lot of coach speak that never comes to fruition. Looking at the defensive numbers and some of the things that stood out in this defensive performance positively, albeit there was you know several negative things that I think we've covered a lot, um, the people that they've talked about that they thought would be really good uh, transfers in for the Mountaineers showed up in this game. You know, Day-Day Hawkins, you see there with the half a tackle for loss and had the pass deflection that nearly led to the Beanie Bishop interception, uh, Beanie Bishop, you know, we've talked about with the near interceptions, the pass deflection. And I think that he's going to be a weapon on in the return game as well. Didn't get a chance to return any of those kickoffs in this game, but um, in the future, look out for him there also. And then uh, Anthony Wilson, they talked about him, you know, modeling his game after Carl Joseph. I saw him lay the wood a couple of times, ended up with five tackles of his own and a half a tackle for loss. So I think all three of those transfers in were guys that they talked about that could be guys that were disruptive. And I think that they showed that they really could be the season for the Mountaineers. Mm -hmm. And Tommy as well. Yeah, Tommy Wadurje. Can't leave him out, especially being as young as he is. Being a redshirt freshman, I was wondering how much they would play him. And uh, when he got in there, he made an impact right away with uh, an impressive sack. So um, that's a guy that can be a weapon uh, in the future for the Mountaineers. Yeah, so like, there's there are positives on, on the defensive side of the ball. You just got to know where yeah. to look. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's not it's not all bad. The sky's not falling. Exactly. The sky's not falling, guys. Indeed. But wanted to talk about some of those numbers um, after we gave some of our thoughts. 
but also put out on uh, social media here and on our uh, YouTube page to get some of your all's thoughts. You know, we like to do that here on the podcast occasionally, just kind of gauge where things are for Mountaineer Nation, for ourselves, for those that uh, tune into our show and follow us anyway. Uh, we'll put out here, we said Mountaineer Nation, it's the day after the first game of the season. Let us know your WVU football thoughts, concerns, or takeaways, and we would share some on this episode. And here we are doing just that and got a couple of responses here that we wanted to share. Uh, one coming from Gordon Spencer, 6656. He states he's proud of them and uh, feels they played a good game. Most thought they wouldn't score and it wouldn't, and it'd be a complete blowout. Let's go, Mountaineers. I appreciate you there, uh, Gordon, uh, chiming in there. And Zachary4294 said, Play calling on offense was horrible and thought Green didn't look comfortable throwing, but we played hard and the defense was better than I thought. Um, in regards to those comments, I would say, uh, Gordon, I think that they definitely, you know, some of the outsiders they probably impressed. And to Zachary, I would agree on a lot of the play calling. Um, I've kind of giving my thoughts on green but I will say this team to me that's one thing I will say is they do look like they have a chip on their shoulder they do look like they're going to play hard and continue to fight because they continue to fight in this game to the very end and they have some guys that are really scrappy on this team I think but um, in regards to uh, these couple comments Steven anything uh, you want to add to uh, in response to Gordon or uh, Zachary here uh, no I, I kind of agree with both of them I do I'm proud of the the hard fought battle that they showed. Um, I'm proud of, like you said, the chip they played on their with on their shoulder. I think that that's one positive I can take away from Neil Brown in the post in the post game was that they were you know more or less asking if he was discouraged in his team after that, and and he was very you know steadfast in remaining that he's you know I know we we're going to be who we're going to be and we're going to win football games this year, so. You know, I, I will say that I'm proud of the way that they fought, but I'll also agree with what Zach said and saying that the play the play calling has been and is still horrible. Um, uh, Green, I don't think he – at times I guess he didn't look comfortable, but, I mean, I think that most of that was the environment. But I don't know. I'm hoping yep, so. Spot on. My thoughts too. Yep. Brad, anything else? Nah, man. That's exactly how I feel about it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree too. It's the verdict's still out, and uh, as Neil Brown said, West Virginia still has a chance to win plenty of games. You know, throughout the remainder of this season, uh, that's the silver lining. This wasn't a conference game, and the Big Twelve looks to be uh, wide open this season. I think that it's uh, got a great chance for West Virginia to make some noise there. Let's look around the conference, gentlemen, at the other scores uh, that happened in the Big Twelve uh, this week. Thursday, of course, it kicked off with UCF uh, dominating Kent State 56-6. John Rice Plumley, the dog. Yeah, John Reese Plumley's a good player. I, I love that guy. And, of course, you know I love Gus Malzahn's offense too. Yeah, that too. And then uh, Friday, Kansas with the 48-17 to win over Missouri State. Uh, still no Jalen uh, Daniels uh, sitting him out. Still Jason Bean got the run there, but they got the 48-17 to win. And then, of course, the Saturday slate, uh, we know the Mountaineers' result. We've discussed it extensively at this point, pretty much. Texas uh, hands Rice the 37-10 to uh, 10, uh, defeat. Uh, JT Daniels uh, did not look so hot for Rice Owls in that game. No, he did not. And then uh, Kansas State, 45 to nothing win. The shutout win over Southeast Missouri. And, of course, we talked briefly about Coach Prime impressing uh, Colorado, uh, shocking the college football world, coming away with the 45-42 to victory over TCU. Guys, I know we talked about this a little bit, but, I mean, I, I can't not talk about, you know, Travis Hunter and Shadur Sanders. Shadur Sanders, his first game ever at Colorado, breaks the school record for passing yards. And then Travis Hunter playing over 100 snaps, plays both sides of the football, gets over 100 yards receiving, couple of touchdowns, one interception, nearly had another. Uh, how about Colorado, guys? Oh, man. Well, you know, you know what I keep thinking about, guys, is – what Colorado did with this, not not just from seeing Travis Hunter do what he did and Shador Saunders and, and even Shiloh Saunders, Saunders on the other side of the ball too because people haven't been talking about him enough. I think what Colorado did in betting on themselves and believing in Dion so much, I, I think that is completely one of the most admirable things that we can look at in college athletics today. I think 
they have come out and they've admitted Colorado doesn't have the money to pay Dion yet. They said, but we will. Um, so I think that, I, you know, I'm a dreamer, but, and I'm not saying that we should go for Dion. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying in, in, in the world of athletics that we live in today and you see what, what it's panned out for to Colorado already, not just because they won their first game, but in terms of revenue that this school is making, they sold out their spring game, you know, all of these different aspects that, that Dion brings to a school like that. I think West Virginia should, should learn a thing or two from that, but all right, I'm off that train for a second. I just wanted to mention that. Um, Travis Hunter is an absolute dog. Okay. Dog. I, I will, uh, I will be a fan of Travis Hunter until the day he retires from the NFL, which I hope is a long and lengthy career, but playing the positions that he is playing right now. Um, I truly hope, hope that they keep my man, a whole locker full of B12 shots back in that locker room. So they can get him going at halftime because, I mean, this man has got to be in the most impeccable athletic shape I have ever seen in a human being. Yeah, um, that's insane. I, I know that we mentioned it the other day in the uh, the group chat, but I mentioned, I said, when was the last time that we seen a player that played on both sides of the ball and was that elite at both sides? Um, I did not realize when I said that that Dion for the, the Dallas Cowboys, I believe in the 99 season. I was about to say, Dion played. was like the last one that I knew of. Yeah, so how much mm. sense does it make for, for Travis Hunter to be, you know, a, exactly. a Dion product? It's going to be the modern day, modern yeah, day primetime. That was fun to watch. That was really fun to watch. I cannot – And that running back they've got too, the five-star – Gus they, Edwards, uh, I believe. Uh, Edwards, yeah, he had like three receiving touchdowns, over 100. He, he's awesome. Yeah, he was nice. Too, he's a true freshman. Yep. Yeah, I'm glad I I'm glad I drafted Shador Sanders in uh in our college fantasy league guys. Hey, I'm glad they're coming to the Big Twelve. It's gonna be fun to watch them in the conference. It's gonna be fun to watch them in the conference, but uh I'll tell you right now, guys, it's not gonna I don't be fun know to play how them. much yeah, I don't know how much I'm gonna like them in about a year or two, whenever we're gonna have to, you know, pull <laughs> right. something together to beat these guys. Because the last time that we went out to Colorado, it was not such a fun trip. I don't know if y'all oh, remember that, but I, I remember that game all too well. We should have won that game. Absolutely, we, th- we had that double pass to Bradley Starks, and the guy was wide open, and Bradley Starks threw it about ten yards short of a guy with no one within anyone near of him, and yeah, we lost that game in OT. I remember that one all too well. I really believe that that was the game that really turned the fan base against. Uh, rest in peace. I, I really believe that was the one that turned the fan base against Bill Stewart uh, because it. Going into that game, we were not supposed to lose. Like we, were, nah, it was a rough game. We were heavy favorites. Well, they were coming off that lost East Carolina too, and it was we thought it was going to be the bounce back, and yeah, yeah, it was a rough. It was rough. It was a rough start to that season. Yeah, it was much much was. like a rough start to this season. But uh, speaking of starts of the season, uh, continuing on our rundown of the Big Twelve uh, schedule, Oklahoma seventy three to nothing guys went over Arkansas State and Butch Jones. I know I saw a. A meme of Butch Jones being consoled by one of his players on the sideline as he was nearly in tears. Because I mean, I felt bad for the guy. I mean, you're down seventy three to nothing. What can you do at that point? And what can you say to your coach? I mean, it's like I'm sorry, coach. We we can't do anything out here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, do you consider Oklahoma back by that? Uh, I don't no. know. The offense is good again. They the are defense good. is going to be better, but I I don't know Arkansas Arkansas State. I don't know if I can judge it with that game against them, but I, they're going to be better than they were last year. Certainly, I'll say that. Yeah, I believe so too. I think that the, I don't think they're going to be playoff potential good, but I do think they're going to be a lot better than we, what we've seen last year. We're going to be tested in Morgantown more than we were last year. Yeah, I agree. Iowa State with the 30-9 win over Northern Iowa in the uh, start and quarterback there for Iowa State. Uh, the son of Anthony Beck, Rocco Beck, gets the start for Iowa State after uh, what happened there with uh, Hunter Deckers and the gambling scandal there uh, for the Cyclones. So pretty cool uh, West Virginia connection there for yeah. the uh, Iowa State starting quarterback. Yeah, I didn't realize that, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, hmm. yes. Yeah. I think he's a retro freshman or retro sophomore too. He's pretty young, so um yeah, he's gonna be good, I think. Nice. And then uh Cincinnati dominating uh Eastern Kentucky sixty six to thirteen, another newcomer there getting the win. And then we're getting into some of the more uh interesting outcomes here, starting with this one, guys. I didn't even realize this until, you know, earlier today. I knew it was a battle, but I didn't realize that they had lost really uh, 42 to 31 Texas State beats Baylor shocker apparently Texas yeah, State is on a mission because uh I, I that was they came to play <laughs> yeah yeah I mean they that's a hand, that's play. a handy I mean 11 point win uh, at Baylor so yeah 
What cracks me up is the the next one that you're going about about to talk about, and people have posted that score, acting like it's such an impressive win, and they posted they posted the Jacksonville State score. Well, I think that people uh, are put, posting the Houston one because they're probably just so impressed that they held UTSA to 14 points as bad as everyone's expecting Houston's defense to be and that and that Dana had a defensive game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as For we're sure. talking about Houston beating UTSA 17-14 to 14 in the game, I think a lot of people expected UTSA to win, but uh, the fighting Dana Holgersons uh, find a way to come out on top 17 to 14, uh, despite not scoring in the fourth quarter. And like I said, hey, that's surprising. That's a defensive battle. I will say, I don't like the guy, but those Houston uniforms, man, those oiler, oh. those oiler throwbacks, clean. Those were, those were clean. Mm-hmm. Very, very clean. <laughs> yes, they were. Um, Oklahoma State um, winning, but not too handedly over Central Arkansas, 27 to 13. And then we get another upset in the conference. This one came in double overtime late last night. Uh, on the road, Texas Tech loses to Wyoming, 35-33 to 33 in double overtime. The fighting Josh Allens, man. Yeah, yeah, making Josh Allen proud there. And then our last uh, score of uh, week one of the Big 12 season, BYU does beat Sam Houston in a shutout, but BYU only puts up uh, 14 points on offense, but... That's all they needed when you don't uh, allow Sam Houston to score. So 14 to nothing win uh, for BYU. Uh, I know uh, we didn't discuss any of those games too much at length, guys, but any of them there that you wanted to talk about more? uh, Yeah, look look at that Sam Houston quarterback. He led the quarterback room 147 yards to three interceptions. Sheesh. Is that a defensive game or what? What did that game look? Like. <laughs> Am I wrong, or is BYU's quarterback a familiar face from last year? He, he is. He is. He is one that said some uh, very uh, disparaging things about uh, our great state as well. I yep. believe you're right, sir. I believe that uh, that's an extra little bit of momentum going into that game, and it doesn't look like he has the offensive firepower to lead him past anybody, especially if he can't score more than 14 points against Sam Houston. Yeah, definitely smell a little bit of revenge in the air on that one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. A couple sacks coming his way. Mm-hmm. But what I'll say in regards to these games, you know, I don't want to dive in on any one of them specifically, but, you know, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but I think this conference is wide open, especially in terms of for West Virginia, not having to play Texas and Kansas State, who are looking like two of the better teams. I know Oklahoma dominated. The Mountaineers have to play them. But it looks like a lot of these other games are win- going to be winnable for the Mountaineers or at least be, you know, close contested games, it seems. Yeah, yeah, definitely, especially if you can sneak that Texas Tech win, mm-hmm. which I did predict in the preseason roundtable. Yeah, um, you did. You did. I you did that one. You did. You know, it, it's it's going to be a real big momentum boost. He's he's due for, he's due to beat them for sure. I just wish that we didn't have to wait until a team is super beatable to be able to beat. You know what I mean? Like we we waited so long to beat Oklahoma, and we finally did that last year. But I don't I don't know about you guys. I it's, I don't know. It doesn't feel. I'm glad like, we did it, but it doesn't feel like I beat an Oklahoma team. Right. It doesn't feel as fully as it. It's should like you got cucked out of your feeling that you're going to get if we beat again Oklahoma team. I mean, right. this this may be what they felt like in '88 when we finally beat Penn State. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but even that, I feel like that team was a very very good Penn State team, and we were just a really good West Virginia team that year, and we beat the you know beat the hell out of them. But now it's like, well, okay, well. Okay, going back when we finally beat K State for the first time in, in the Big Twelve, I remember that was that was something because K State was actually pretty good that year. And I don't know, it's just it was a hard fought game too. It was a yeah, very hard fought game. Yeah. Our Gibson, expectations as Mountaineer oh, fans has changed for sure. Yes, that yeah, and I and therein lies the issue. Exactly, yeah. and I think that's why a lot of us, you know, are calling for his head because we we. As a program, we pride ourselves. Like I seen yesterday, someone had made a comment on Facebook that um, our biggest mistake as a program was joining a Power Five conference during the last conference uh, conference realignment, and because we now this is quote unquote from this this comment that I read, because we are a group of five school and we know it, and oh, we should God. never and we should never put ourselves in a position to 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 be in this. I guess to 
put ourselves to be in this position. That is the most ignorant perception that I believe that you can have. Yeah, and I don't mean to bash ridiculous. on anybody specifically. If you're the person that commented that and you're watching this, just hear me out. Okay, so just for example, SMU just accepted a bid to go to the ACC. For the next 10 years, SMU ain't getting shit. <laughs> just Not to put nothing. it bluntly and simply. And after that 10 years, they will only receive one full part of the lowest share in that conference. Meaning, what that tells me, SMU just told the college football world, hey, we ain't worth nothing. We know it. We just want to have a seat at the table. Yeah, that's literally what it's that's what it's come to. <laughs> I'm telling West you, Virginia things are changing a lot starting next next year in 2024, and I I don't know if fans are going to enjoy the product, you know, as much starting next season. They're already starting to not enjoy it the past couple of years with transfer portal and IO. You've already seen people complaining. I think next year when these conferences are looking crazy, multi-coastal conferences, whatever you want to call it. Interest might go down. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I mean, West Virginia's already had a magnified view of it already because we've had to travel the whole distance of the country for, what, the better part of the last decade. You, the rest of the country doesn't know what that's like. And we've spent however long crying out to people saying, hey, we can't. How are we supposed to compete when we're always this exhausted from this amount of travel? That's what you're going to find in the next however five five years or so is that's what – the battle is going to be magnified. Everybody's going to find that out. And then I think we'll, eventually it'll revert back to uh, – this has always been my belief. I think I've always shared that with you guys, that the conference realignment will find its way back to originality in some ways um, because it's going to be too much chaos to be able to form. You know what I mean? Like whether it's going to be us, you know, pulling away from the NCAA and making our own entity or whether – whatever the case may be. There is no world that it makes sense that a Stanford and Cal or SMU for that matter should literally be traveling the coast to coast on a weekly basis to play games. I mean, why not just move your kids to have, you know, the California University of Kentucky or, you know, something like that and have your kids stay there and study there and compete from there? Like, I just, I, it, it just makes absolute no sense to, to the regular eye but it doesn't make sense to the people that actually follow this. I mean, it's, it's complete chaos and, and madness. No, we haven't even gotten there yet. You have coaches speaking out against it and, and speaking that they, it's not good for the kids. So, Yeah. And I think that's where you kind of just get, I th me, I think that we're going away from like, uh, it's not going to be, it's just going to be semi-pro. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to be considered really anything to do with universities or scholastics or academics in any way. I mean, it, it's just going to be minor league teams funneled through universities because they've got the infrastructure to handle it. You know what I mean? And that's just kind of where it's at. Yeah, it is. It's not sustainable. I, I don't think long-term either. So I don't know. That's a wild situation, man. It is. It is. It's a, uh, it's wild right now all around, you know, college sports in general for sure so you know not not just for our mountaineers just all, all around it's a it's a crazy time who knows uh which way things are trending but uh for the mountaineers hopefully things start trending in a more positive direction than what we saw here in this first game dropping no and one for the third straight year god i hope they get back on the winning side of things like we expect them to coming up against duquesne we'll be talking more about that uh Coming up in our preview episode that'll be releasing later this week, so be on the lookout for that one. That'll be uh, 163 for us here on the Country Roads webcast here as we have been uh, discussing the Penn State uh, review here in uh, Season 6, Episode 162. But having said that, gentlemen, uh, anything that we didn't touch on that you guys wanted to add here at the end or anything you wanted to uh, throw in here final thoughts-wise, uh, what do you got, Stephen? Uh, nothing, nothing really important. Uh, I know that one thing that I was going to mention, but I forgot to earlier was that, uh, WVU is exploring name rights for the football and basketball stadiums. Oh, yeah. So I was, uh, maybe, maybe we can talk about that on the next show. I really wanted to get your guys thoughts of what potential leading names would be. Yeah, for sure. It's like the Tudor's biscuit world, uh, Mountaineer field, probably. Tudor's biscuit world. <laughs> I like it. Hey, I like it. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be fun to talk about. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. We have yeah. to. We have to. We have to deep dive on that. I'm have to brainstorm a little bit. 
It's interesting. Yeah, I wanted to mention it now so we didn't forget about it. We can go go back and reference. Yeah, I'll have to do it. I'll have to do it. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Uh, Brad, what about you? Uh, anything we didn't touch on you want to bring up here? Uh, final thoughts? No, more more final thoughts. side. I feel like I've been a little bit more critical and a little bit more negative on this podcast. Um, and I think it's one of those things that I, I fully support our team. I just don't think that the team is really our issue. And so um, try, trying to separate two entities in my brain and be critical of one, but supporting the other can be a little bit difficult. But just know I always support the Mountaineers, but I, I think that there's questions that we need to keep asking and answering. Absolutely. That's, that's what we're here to do. You know, we're going to, highlight the positives but we're not going to ignore the negatives either going to have to try and discuss all aspects of the program that's the fun of uh, doing this podcast and we've really enjoyed doing it you know the past five years and are enjoying it thus far here in this sixth season uh, doing it here after the first game of the 2023 Mountaineer football season and hopefully uh, more of these will be coming after wins than losses for the remainder of the year we'll see what happens and what direction things trend but appreciate everyone that's tuned into this episode whether you viewed it or listened to it uh, we appreciate you taking it in either way check us out on youtube country roads webcast same on all podcast platforms and on facebook and instagram but if you want to find us on twitter slash x you can do that at wvu country roads check out the content on wvsportsnow.com where you can also find our show and like i said be on the lookout for the preview podcast releasing later this week and plenty of content coming up on our youtube channel in the meantime and in between time but having said that that'll wrap us up here on our penn state review and reaction episode for my awesome co-hosts Big Bubba Brad, CRW there on Twitter slash X, Bradley and Steven, who you can find on Twitter as well at Pitt Still Sucks. Um, until next time, we are the Country Roads webcast team. And as always, let's go. Mountain. If you really want to know, then come on, let's go. Take a stroll down those.